Hello and welcome to yesterday's news today, April 10th, 1911. Caspag Springs leak at altitudes of 4,000 feet and army aeronauts escape death. Authorities win their first conviction against members of the Black Hand and are one step closer to ending their reign of terror. And finally, a dream come true for little Nemo as he makes his jump to the big screen. That was the news as it was this week in 1911, April the 10th. Which means this can only be yesteryear's news today, where the news is better late than never. And I'm Johnny. And I'm Shane. We haven't used that uh, cheesy phrase in a while. No, no, we haven't. So, to know what we are as a podcast, read the description. Because <laughs> every week I usually <laughs> explain it and we decided we're not going to do that anymore. Yeah. And then I still do it every week and you're like, oh, I guess we're doing it, Shane. <laughs> no, I think everybody knows what we do at this point. Last week, if you haven't listened to last week's episode, we didn't do last week in history. We did no, we didn't. Historic hoaxes because it was April Fool's Day. But we recorded that, what, like a day beforehand maybe? We recorded it in advance anyway. Yeah, yeah, we did, yeah. So I was wondering, did you fall for any April Fool's Day hoaxes <laughs> last week? No, I was really, really disappointed actually. There was none. It's funny because there was no one going on. I, for some reason, I was so busy that day. I didn't even read any news. So I didn't read them. anything. Like, and uh, nobody in work tried to get me. Nobody, like nobody in life, tried to get me with anything. <laughs> I didn't even see any. Uh, like, uh, I didn't see any Facebook statuses or anything. Yeah, yeah, I actively sort of like kept because I don't use Facebook much anymore. But I like yeah. kept an eye on what people were posting just because. As you I was to see the lies. Yeah, as I was editing our part, I was listening to all the stuff. It seems mainly I was I was I, I seem very bitter about the idea of April Fool's Day. I was, and I'm not bitter about it. I just it's ridiculous. Yeah. But it's so funny because all the stuff I saw was all the stuff we were talking about. Oh really? <laughs> yeah, because I even met I, I during in that podcast I mentioned like every year there's something about Marvel buying Batman or. Robert Downey Jr. being pl- replaced by Tom Cruise or something. Oh, yeah, yeah. And even that stuff popped up again. There was new articles about... Yeah, yeah. There was one about Justin Bieber was going to play Spider-Man. Was, he was oh, going yeah. to join the Marvel Universe as Spider-Man and people were yeah. getting angry about it. It was just all the same stuff we talked about. <laughs> so I was on Google Maps looking for directions and it was just this random new logo in place of the street view of Pac-Man. Oh, and when yeah. you click it, the map of the wherever you're looking at turns into a pac-man band game oh i thought that was just a cool game i didn't know that was an april fool's thing oh well i saw it on april fool's day maybe has that been there long no no i just saw it on facebook the other day and oh yeah no i think, think it was it. there for hopefully it's still there because it's cool but I, yeah. I think it was just a because i use google maps quite a bit i didn't notice it if it was there beforehand yeah. oh, no, no. i thought it was, it was a separate thing like a, an app no. it's not really an april fool's joke because it's not like Nobody, you, you weren't yeah. fooled. <laughs> but that's why I like that. That's a good one. And we'd mentioned that Google usually do good stuff. But anyway, all that was just to remind people that there is a good episode they should listen to from last <laughs> week. So this week. So what happened this week in uh, 1911? A lot of stuff. A lot of really, yeah. really boring stuff looking through the news. Oh, yeah. <laughs> to start off, there's one, because um, this is another callback. Because when we originally, when we talked about the Black Hand at first, the Black Hand Society, we talked about how they'll probably come up quite a bit. So I just want oh, yeah. to start off with them again, because we have some Black Hand news from this week. And if you're new to the podcast or just don't listen to them all, we talked about them at length in 
I want to say episode eight, which had been like February, February, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so yeah, Black Hand Society, not to be confused with the uh, Serbian militant group, but they were uh, they were an, an extortion racket. We talked about them in a way, but yeah, go listen to that episode. Yeah, <laughs> just give a quick explanation though that ah, yeah. it, Black Hand. Uh, extortion was just the act of sending letters to it was run by italian immigrant criminals in in the early century just sending letters to people demanding money threatening them with bodily harm and debt or any amount of things and they got the name the black hand because they would always sign it with a, a black handprint and the media referred referred to them as the Black Hand Society, but they weren't actually a connected group. It was just, just individuals. individuals yeah. yeah, it was just individual scum, scumbaggery, I think. <laughs> individual scumbaggery. Yeah. And so, like, yeah, they weren't a collective like the Mafia, just a bunch of small rackets committing the same crime. But this week, this is... Yeah, so this is from this week. The US Department of Justice won its first conviction in its prosecution of members of the Black Hand. And again, they're not really members of any society, but that's how it was phrased. Uh, for uh, extortion and murder by dynamite in Chicago. Murder by dynamite. That's dynamite. <laughs> <laughs> uh, under tight security, a federal court jury convicted Gianni Algoni of employing the US mail to send death threats to Garmila Marsala, who operated a butcher shop. I just thought that was worth mentioning. I do have the article. It's not a long one. Should I read it? Yeah, yeah, go Might for it. As well. yeah. So uh, this is um, from the Sacred Heart Review on fifteenth from the 15th of April. For the past few years, nearly 50 dynamite explosions and a score of murders have taken place in Chicago and the authorities, believing these to be works of the Italian secret society, commonly known as the Black Hand have been trying to break up the organization. The United States government won its first case in the fight against the Black Hand on April 7th in Chicago when Gianni Algoni was found guilty by a jury in the United States District Court of using the mails of sending threatening letters. Alangi, I'm still, I'm, I don't know how to pronounce his name, was accused of having written threatening letters to Garmil Marcella in a, a meat dealer in the Italian section near Det Point. <laughs> where many explosions and murders have occurred Marcella refused to pay the tribute demanded in the letters I love to refer to it as a tribute like <laughs> 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 just pay out the tribute pay us tribute uh, and five five bombs were exploded near his shop before Algoni was arrested extraordinary efforts were made to prevent the conviction of Algoni immediately after his trial began Judge Landis received a le- letter threatening death if the Italian should be found guilty. Wow. Yeah. Five, did you say five bombs? Five, yeah, five bombs. Now, I'm not sure how how, how big those bombs were, but yeah, a yeah. bomb's a bomb. Yeah, no matter uh, what way you look at it. But it's insane, because we, like, we, we went quite a bit into the Black Hand in 1908, and yet, yeah. like, that was just, that, that never, that story didn't come up when we... We no, talked no. about them before. There's so much. Like, they really yeah. were terrorizing. And it was across. It was in New York, Chicago, Pennsylvania, a bunch yeah, of places. And what's really, like, that that point was a place in what used to be Little, Little Italy in Chicago. 
yeah. and like, when we done this last time, I'd, I don't think we talked about it, but I had read up, read up about that. And there was some some crazy stuff went on there. There was a guy called the Shotgun Man. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and it's hard to tell. Like, I can't really ascertain whether he was part of the Black Hand or he was just a lunatic that stood at the corner shooting people. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> because nobody really knew. Like, because, you know, it's so hard to tell who who the Black Hand was threatening. Like, most people didn't come forward. Like, oh, so yeah, yeah. when they found somebody dead... They assumed... They, yeah, yeah. yeah, unless they found a letter in their home, they had no reason. But there was some guy who had shot like a boy, like 30 people at that point. Just walked around with a shotgun. It seems that way at night. And he did, his his actions died down, or well, they just, he stopped once the black hand were sort of oh, removed. Yeah. So he, he was a black hand hitman. But yeah, it's just a funny, just the shotgun man, that's what he was called, hanging around. It's crazy. Death point. But good old black hands, good to hear, good to hear them again, and we'll probably they'll pop up again because they're still gonna be around for another. I think it's not until the twenties the the actual mafia kind of wiped them out. Oh yeah, that was kind of what happened. It was yeah. they became the mafia kind of. You know. Yeah, yeah, it was that control. It was kind of disorganized crime became organized crime. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, and a lot of the same people, like a lot of the mafia members, would have operated black hand tactics before. Yeah. Yeah, we also like this isn't a callback, but we do love our um, self references. <laughs> I wouldn't say we love this, but we've talked about mining tragedies quite. Oh bit, yeah, yeah, I saw this. Oh, you did see it? Did, did... Was it? Oh no, sorry, you go on. Oh I no, no wrong. you don't. Have no, it. I could be wrong. Yeah, yeah, go on. Oh right, okay. Um, no, it was just I, like I don't have a whole lot of information on it. I just talk <laughs> the fact that we've talked about. Yeah. A similar one before that we'd mentioned. It was just an explosion that happened on April 8th at the Banner Coal Mine. It was owned by the Pratt Coal Company in North Jefferson County. Yeah. Um, Is this the one you'd seen? No, no, no. I'm, like, I'm thinking of a different year, sorry. Oh, okay. Because um, where was the... What was the coal mine and tragedy we talked about before? Where was that? Um, was it Pennsylvania? Yeah, I think it was Pennsylvania. Oh. I'm trying to remember. That was about oh was three very, oh four. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, it was very early. Like this, because I there's no, you know, there's no, they're all pretty. It's the same as the one you came with on that episode. They all generally oh, yeah. have the same premise. Bad maintenance like, of yeah, yeah and stuff. It's building up the gases and and this one again. And like then the one. Remember when I had the one the. Uh, the Dynamite Express, oh, like they yeah. call mine and strike. It, it's like that. That is the the Pratco company, <laughs> the Pratco company. Um, you know, they, they didn't seem like the nicest people to work for. And the accident happened at the very beginning of the day on a Saturday at six a.m. So even working on Saturdays, poor lads. <laughs> oh, yeah. Apparently, actually, I, I did read that they started really early on Saturdays because they they got off at noon. But anyway, yeah, it happened like first thing in the morning. And there was 170 miners underground at the time, and a good chunk of them didn't know anything had happened and just continued working. Oh yeah, for the day because it was so. Because they just heard a blast. Here, it's pretty common. Yeah, yeah, because you, yeah, you would be blasting stuff to yeah, actually yeah. just knock. And it was so big that it had just been an echo in the distance. Apparently, there was people still working while their colleagues were being lifted out the other side of the mine and stuff. Wow. Yeah, this. 128 miners uh, were dead at the end of the day. And this is what I just found crazy. Of the total killed, 123 were convicts. 
lease to the mining company. It's like, and really? I knew that. I knew that went on, but it's just it's but the fact that it was that many. Yeah, yeah, like most of the the, the workers. What did you say? One hundred and seventy. One hundred and seventy were down there. Yeah. When it. And one hundred and twenty-three of them were convicts. Yeah, yeah. Probably working for like. One hundred and twenty-eight killed in total, and one hundred and twenty-three. Way. for convicts and because when i was reading these articles they said how a good a good number of employees didn't know anything had happened and had continued yeah, to work yeah. that means like essentially that's to, and that was 170 in total and if 128 were dead that mean it that sounds to me like any anyone was anywhere near where the accident actually happened died yeah yeah it's a huge number yeah and and the 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 convicts were like it was all people like it was minor crimes like there was no yeah. there was no murderers in there and of the the 128 dead 114 were african-americans wow yeah i don't have information i think there was something like only five five people were actually just people being paid to be there that that's died. crazy yeah and like the i think the foreman died i think and but actually, yeah, because the foreman was actually, you know, at least he 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 was doing his job. He'd actually escaped the explosion, but died um, after he he returned to the mine to help, and I think oh, yeah. he suffocated. But yeah, he 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 had escaped originally and went back. Yeah, largest loss of life to date in an Alabama mine. Hope, hopefully that wouldn't increase <laughs> yeah, yeah. anytime hopefully soon. Hopefully nobody breaks that record. Yeah. Wow. Poor lads. Again, we talked about it before, but I yeah. can't think of a, a worse yeah. way to go. Well, yeah, like these mines are tough, tough. They still are, but uh, they've improved so much over the last like ten years. Never mind hundred years, like of mining how they're yeah. done and stuff. That's I know I've said it a few times, but I want to do a special episode where we're gonna go down a mine, and it's a mining tour I did before, and it's really, really good. You get a really good. Uh, grasp of what it was like in like the 70s and 80s like never mind <laughs> 1911 yeah, you know? yeah although maybe i'm being maybe this is a harsh thing to say but is 1960s ireland the same as 1910s yeah, 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 america yeah, yeah, yeah. it's that kind of <laughs> but yeah no that's i was just going to mention that like that'd be i really want to do that that'd be a great yeah, yeah. episode do you I think do. they'd because you've done the tour do you think the because I assume it's probably not a big operation. No, yeah, all the tour guides are former uh, miners. Yes, and there's probably only a handful of them. That they yeah, are. yeah, and it's. Uh, do you think they'd be okay? Like they do. I think they'd, they'd like be well for because it, 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 Yeah, I'd say they'd be well for because it like promote their promote it for them. You know. Yeah, I can't imagine that many podcasts have done an episode from a mine. It's <laughs> no, no, pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> What's that? Where, where is that? It's um. Is it in Leitrim? It's either Leitrim or Common. I'm not too sure. It's it's not that far from Carrick and Shannon, which is a border town. Because when you go one side of the bridge, you're in Roscommon. The yeah. other side, you're in Leitrim. So I'm not exactly which is sure which side it's on. Um. But well, back to this year. <laughs> uh, we had some. Oh, it was two episodes ago when we talked about Frankenstein. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. that was. Our yeah, it was episode before April Fool's episode. So yeah. Yeah, for 1910, that was uh, our first real movie news we had yeah uh, unless you include the execution of topsy the elephant from of course uh, from episode three both thomas edison productions so you should listen to both of them you get, together you get a nice little bit of history about edison but uh, this week there was a uh, little nemo uh was 
released or Little Nemo in Slumberland. It was yeah. uh, the first, well, not the first, but like, well, arguably the first, I guess, proper animated film. Oh, okay. Was released this week in 1911. And are you, do you, have you ever heard of Little Nemo before? No, I haven't. Well, it's good. Um, it's interesting enough because it, it relates to stuff you're interested in. At least uh, it was a comic book strip uh, originally. Yeah. He was the protagonist of it, uh, created by a guy called Windsor McKay, and it was him who also ad- it was he, he was the cartoonist and he was behind the animated film. Yeah, a bit of a, a history. The the comic book strip began in 1905, uh, appearing in the New York Herald, and it ran there until July 1911 when it moved to the New York American, which is one of William Hurst's papers. Who oh yeah, we've. He seems to pop up the whole time because we cover news from newspapers, and he yeah, <laughs> he ruled that landscape. Um, and yeah, and it had a run in his paper until 1914, and it kind of would dis- it would be out of print for pretty much a decade until McKay returned to the to the Herald in 1924 and right. relaunched it. But it's it's actually like it's an insanely creative comic book strip. Yeah, he's really good for the time. I'll get into like there's a lot of cool stuff to it. The the general idea is nice. It's really nice animation style, or sorry, the, just the art style and the animation to yeah. the actual short was really cool. But to give you an idea, the plot revolved around Nemo. He is a little child, and his adventures in a in a realm called Slumberland. So oh, okay. while he slept, he went on these. Or he dreamed himself away into these wonderful adventures and he got into predicaments and they would always end with him waking up on the last panel. Um, Sometimes okay. confused, but it, and it's kind of, I think, it, it kind of goes back to Frankenstein again because we talked about that, the second version of Frankenstein in 1950. Oh, which was, it was all a dream. All just a dream, <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. when I was looking stuff up about this, they seemed, they were saying like, this was the first instant. This this was because well, I remember you were saying that. Oh, I think that might have been the first incident. Of, yeah, yeah, it was all a dream. But these seem to because this was nineteen oh five, so these actually have that Frankenstein yeah, yeah. version beat by ten years, and it's got similarities to to a film that's been from I think two thousand. I'm bad with years. Yeah, doing a podcast centered around specific years. That's not very good. <laughs> but listen, it right. So the beginning of the story, like because the this the first story arc, like the first. Uh, I guess strip. Yeah, we'll call it issue number one for the purpose of relating it to modern comics. But it took six months. The first story arc was six months long, essentially, before Nemo actually gets to Slumberland. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. So it was the first like proper ongoing, where you really had to follow it. And like, starts with the King of Slumberland sends a minion to collect Nemo and bring him to Slumberland as a playmate for the princess. Yeah, and. The king's name was actually King Morpheus. Uh, Does this sound like a film you know about, like any character coming to? Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. know Continue going. (laughs) Well, that's pretty. Was it 1999 you were thinking? Was that 1999? Yeah, yeah. It's close enough. But yeah, it does seem like... So Nemo instead of Neo. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Neo wasn't the, the whole... The entire thing of Neo meant the one. Yeah. Um, Nemo, the reason he's called Nemo in Latin, it means no one. Ah, uh, okay. It's a rough similarity. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. Uh, but I, I genuinely think, from reading the way the comic strip is actually told in that scene, 
I imagine the is it the Wachowskis? Yeah, yeah. I imagine they actually were familiar with Nemo and deliberately took yeah, that yeah, element of calling them Morpheus. And I know they're those names are associated with loads of other things, but yeah, the idea of like a dream world and Morpheus coming and telling somebody called Nemo that there's this other world and showing them how to get there. Oh yeah, it's very similar. Um, I just really <laughs> like making that link too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Nemo didn't quite have his own Agent Smith, but there was like there was a, an antagonist called uh, Flip, who was a clown who would follow Nemo with the words "Wake up" written on his hat, uh, that's and that's really how it stopped Nemo from from accomplishing his his mission to to get to. Oh, so you kept waking him up before you could get yeah, to yeah, where yeah. he was going. And oh, that was it, yeah. It, and sometimes, like, when Nemo would wake up, they would do that thing where it would actually be the parent waking him up and there'd be something that in, in the real world that was similar to something that happened in the yeah, dream yeah. and stuff. But, uh, yeah, eventually Flip actually became a, an ally of, of Nemo. I didn't like from what I gathered from yeah, stuff yeah. I've seen. There was also, yeah, a bit of the things you get away with back then. Like, there was a character... A, a mute character of he was like an African tribal native guy, and he's depicted in that that pretty that racist fashion. Yeah, like when we were talking about the uh, cannibals. Oh yeah, and you yeah. just you were talking about the, the old cartoon of the two the two explorers in a pot. <laughs> oh a yeah, yeah. Pot. Like yeah, he he's depicted like them, but not he's not he was still he's a part of the gang. He like wasn't. bone through his nose kind of look. Yeah, he didn't quite have that, but he definitely like that. That sort of the the bigger lips and the oh yeah yeah okay that uh yeah just the the gear he wore yeah it just it was looked yeah. very racist, but they didn't actually. It wasn't like the, the his character wasn't simple or anything. No, it, no, I assume like he was mute because it's in the comic book medium. How do you, can you illustrate somebody is from a different culture and has, doesn't have language other than not giving them a speech bubble? <laughs> I guess yeah, I, I suppose, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so that was Windsor McKay. So I guess we should go into him himself a bit. Uh, he's a really weird name, actually. He was, he was Sansus or Senes Windsor McKay. Z-E-N-A-S. Senes. It's a pretty cool name. And he worked under the name Silas for a strip called Dream of the Rarebit Fiend. Oh, I can get to that, but he, he only done that for um, contractual reasons, I think. Yeah, and he was just like, he, he's a, he, a pretty cool, interesting guy. Because, you know, big pioneer of comic book strips and animations, but just entertainment in general. Like He, he done like loads of vaudeville theater and stuff as well. He's just a cool guy, but he began working as an illustrator on just like posters and newspaper ads and what you started working on in illustrations in 1890 to get around yeah and and performing in dime museums which were just like a cross between i guess kind of like a small circus they they refer to working class people not too unlike the stuff from coney island and that oh yeah plenty of flea circuses (laughs) (laughs) yeah but yeah and he would just do like you know well I don't know what it would have been back then, but like now, when you draw people in dune buggies now on the beach, he was one of those guys. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or just doing speed drawings and stuff. So he drew people with giant heads and tiny bodies. Yeah, yeah. Playing golf. Yeah, and he would just sh- generally show off. Like, he'd have people yeah. describe something and he'd be able to draw perfectly because he's really good at memory drawing and stuff. Oh, yeah. yeah, and interesting enough background, like his parents were Scottish immigrants. To immigrate to Canada, and his father, uh, Robert McKay, was a Freemason, 
uh, a member of King Solomon number 43 Masonic Lodge in Woodstock. I just have that written down. Yeah. I'm still, I'm, I'm not familiar enough with the Freemasons to no, know no, exactly what that means. Although, I did, did I ever show you I've got like the Freemason manual? I remember you telling me that. <laughs> it's pretty cool. I'm not, I don't know if I meant to have that. <laughs> <laughs> Probably shouldn't be talking about I don't know. You should maybe redact that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think because I did like. You can definitely buy them. I just don't. Mine's very old. But yeah, anyway. He he kind of just had this natural gift for memory sketching and stuff. There was some weird story about... He he started originally drawing like on, with a nail on frosted glass. Okay. <laughs> that was... I, I didn't. I was reading it. I was like, I don't even know what they're <laughs> describing here. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, and, and he got really into drawing like and he, he was just really good at visualizing like you could describe at, like something he never drew before might not have even seen you could just describe a certain scene to him and he'd be able to like draw it out perfectly like wow. um but his father thought this was like the most pointless talent in the world of course, like, yeah. and like reading like the, it sounds like the father just didn't understand like he looked at a drawing he's like what's what does this mean like what's oh, yeah, the yeah. point of it which is such a hard <laughs> thing to wrap my head like how could you I do get though some some people are just like that. They're just like, oh great, you can draw. Yeah. But what are you gonna? How are you gonna like make a living out of that? Like, what are you? What are you gonna do with that? You know. I can understand that, but reading up on this, it sounds like the father. Not only did he think that, but he kind of thought. You got the impression that he thought like anybody could probably draw, because oh, like okay. oh, it's just sit. You're just copying what you see. It's fine. Like yeah, it's okay, just yeah, that yeah, most yeah. people wouldn't bother because it's such a pointless thing. Like, uh, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, that's a, an assumption. But just hearing how it's described, <laughs> yeah, it just sounds like that was his take on it. But anyways, he just like, got him to a business school as soon as possible, of course, which sort of just actually gave uh, Windsor the opportunity to draw more because wherever he went to business school, he he just was around more dime museums and oh, yeah. skip class <laughs> and, and go and and work and do drones more yeah and you know the more he, he worked the more practice he got but then at, at the dime museums he actually met a guy called john goodison and he impressed him enough that he offered him proper private training oh well and you know he was already naturally gifted but then what like got you know formal training yeah just getting yeah just getting guidance even like he just yeah. got better and better and yeah and he pretty much just decided to start working as an illustrator by himself and so he yeah he don't like advertising and all that none of that's interesting though really like, <laughs> he worked like he, we, we've come across those ridiculous ads in the newspapers like he was drawing them like oh yeah, yeah. it's before photoshop everything had to be illustrated by hand yeah. <laughs> was the one i did before was don't you have too? Have you ever had too many pants? No, then you <laughs> should come to us. <laughs> like, well, stuff like that. A lot of um, our stories have come from the New York Herald. Yeah. So probably, like, there's a good chance. Yeah, we we might have and our earlier ones. Though I'd say after 1905, he probably was just doing. He was doing his uh, Nemo. Yeah, 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 and I imagine he did because you'd even come across stuff where. There won't be like not court sketches, but because they might not have a photo of a particular story, they would actually. I, I you will just see random sketches for certain things in the papers yeah. back then. He probably would have done a bunch of them, and then just a lot of like the political cartoons as well. Oh, of course, yeah. Like there was stuff where there's skipping way ahead when he came to work for Hearst. Like he was doing a lot of the political cartoons. 
So he's drawing actual fat cats with money and cigars. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he always like he, he always refused to actually because he was a celebrity himself at this point. Oh, of course. But yeah. he re- he would refuse to ever comment on what he actually taught about them because okay. yeah, yeah, he probably he, didn't share the political views of yeah, first. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can understand that. Yeah. Can you imagine that though? Like doing all these satirical political cartoons and like and it's a guy you might have voted for. <laughs> oh yeah, because because they have either a right wing agenda or a left wing yeah. agenda, and you're the other way around. They were like, oh, mad. <laughs> but yeah, so he started working with the New York Herald in 1903, and this was just on like you know he came in, he was working on just some pre-existing comic book strips, and started a few of his own. Yeah, all small ones though, and they weren't really that. You know, they were just a couple of panels in the back of a paper, just to set up and punchline and it weren't doing anything too inventive and this is where he started kind of like i guess what leads him to doing nemo and this is called a uh, dream of the rare bit fiend and this i guess it's kind of like this is 1904 he started this yeah i haven't like i've only seen like very selected images from them to get an idea of what yeah. they are but it's pretty much just a cl- it's it's like twilight zone <laughs> i guess because every oh, every okay, strip yeah. is a different different characters but yeah. all with the same setup that after after eating um i don't know what is rare but is that like that's like a cheese pie or something some welsh cuisine yeah it sounds really familiar that a character eats that goes to bed and then has crazy dreams because of it and the dream always reveals something about their subconscious like yeah and they wake up in a cold sweat and realize it was all just a dream but it's all like it was kind of an adult orientated comic book because i wouldn't call it horror but it was yeah it it, it went a darker place because it dealt with their psych or whatever yeah even though that was different it was still the familiar the familiar setup came weekly and he had another one little sammy sneeze (laughs) <laughs> that was just a character. And I've actually read a few of them. They're really good. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, and it's the same thing the whole time. It's all about him... Trying to get through life without sneezing. <laughs> yeah, kind of like Stan. Is this... Yeah, in South Park, when you're oh, yeah. getting sick on whenever he sees a girl. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was just all about him just getting into an awkward... It's all like Kirby enthusiasm. <laughs> getting into an awkward position and just what happens at the end. And it's the same ending the whole time. So it's all about the build-up. Yeah, and you're just yeah. anticipating what's going to happen, and like that's most comic book strips that yeah, of course, exist yeah. in papers now. Like, so it's really good, but still, there are all the the familiar setup each week. But he wanted to like what I described Nemo as something with his ongoing story arc. He he really yeah. wanted he he thought bigger and grander. Yeah, because he knew like these papers were being read every week. Like people would be able to follow like a, oh, of course a yeah. longer tale, and yeah, and he he pretty much created nemo because of that he just wanted to experiment with that format of the story and then he just like it's crazy how much of like you've got a big pile of comic books behind me there like mm. how much of what's in them actually comes from him because he he kind of invented the regular comic book in a sense or the ongoing wrong. series in a comic book, yeah. the ongoing series but not just that because like a comic book panel before that was just like six eight ten panels whatever yeah of course boxes. Yeah, yeah. 
he was the one he would he done the splash page oh really? he, panels were different sizes depending on what he wanted to do he would some one panel could be a joint circular panel in the center of a bunch of squares just because he yeah. wanted it to be so he really played with the format like yeah wow. in crazy ways like there was thing one of the dreams there was some i think it was like a mushroom monster and as it it was growing with with I, I can't remember why it was growing. It was eating stuff or something. And every time it grew, the panel next to it would grow until uh, when it was joint, it was just a joint splash page. That's so, really cool. Yeah, really cool stuff like that. And they're so even if you just give it a random Google now, just um little Nemo comic strip, it'll just be one of the first results, just to get a sense of just how colourful they are. Okay. I'm not even. I'm not sure how they would have looked at the time, though, because I don't know if have these been touched up because they'd have been black and white in the time. Surely, yeah, yeah they would have been. <laughs> but his originals were probably were probably coloured and then just. Oh wow! Like he probably done the original sketches in colour just to help himself. But yeah, or there's loads of, like coloured ones. They're all coloured. Yeah. To be honest, I never even looked up because it never even occurred to me to check oh, whether they would have been coloured at the time or not. I wouldn't think so. Yeah, I would have. T- it just never even now. Now, as I said it, I'm like, no, of course they could. Like, there's one here. This is like a whole page. It's just one drawing. That's amazing. Yeah, and they look, they look brilliant. They're incredible. Wow, we'll have to share some of them on the Facebook page. Yeah, and what you is. can. I think there's actually on archive. dot org. Yeah, they have a bunch where you can read the entire. Well, I don't think they're in their entirety, but you can read full comics. They were re-released like very like in the fifties and sixties. Oh, there's the one you were talking about, the circular. Oh, yeah? Wanted to. Turkey, a giant turkey eating a house. I see the mushroom. <laughs> there was a yeah. mushroom in another one. It's amazing. Yeah, they were released in actual hardback form at some uh, point. It's really trippy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, so, and, and it was really successful. And so he went on with it, but, you know, he took it in other directions. He, um, At some point, his son, or daughter, I think it was his son, came home with a... Uh, a little a little flip book he had picked up in a fun fair whatever yeah you know, i think we had them used to get them with a kellogg cereal but um yeah and he, he was inspired by them to to make a moving picture with his cartoons ah very good and he he, he claimed he was the first animator but this doesn't seem to be true at all there was a well okay there's a bit of there was a guy uh, james stewart blackton who made uh, a silent film that had animated sequences that were both done with um drawings like or cell animation and stop motion so he's probably yeah. the first guy to do he he had both forms of animation done on that and that oh, was yeah. 1900 which i wrote this down give me a second sorry yeah that was called the enchanted drawn in yeah 1900 so that was probably the f- or that was if it was 1900 that was really the first animated film but mckay is still I mean, he, in terms of how much content was in it, he probably topped it. Uh, he used a, so it was a little, the Little Nemo character. It wasn't a story like the comic book strip. This revolved more around, I think, the setup, because the film doesn't exist in its entirety. Only oh, okay. The animated parts still do. But the but, rest of it is. Yeah, because it was a cross between live action and animation. And not, what it is, is it's pretty much. McKay is in the film, and it's him sitting with these bunch of guys at a party, yeah. and he's making a bet with them that he can bring his cartoon characters to life. Uh, okay. And they're like, you're crazy. And then he goes to his sketchboard, and he draws them. And then he oh, takes and his then hand, and then they, the start, yeah, they start running around and interacting with each other and stuff. 
so it just kind of is still pretty cool it's like roger okay, rabbit the first. yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's really clever yeah and and this isn't apparently four thousand drones on rice paper were used for that that one short right wow. i think there's probably only about i think the film's maybe 10 11 minutes i'd say there's maybe a three or four minutes of animation in it oh really um four thousand drone hand drones so that's quite a lot that is a lot that debuted on april 8 1911 and four days later, McKay began using it as part of his vaudeville act. Because, yeah, he he started touring with these... Uh, he does some... His vaudeville acts seem like they would have been amazing to go to. Yeah. So, like, or, yeah, skip to these. Around, uh, well, 1915, 1914, actually, he, he developed uh, Gertie the, the Dinosaur. And this is an awesome idea, but yeah. rather than just showing the film... He, as he had with Nemo, he actually interacted with Gertie live for this one. So he would project the animation on stage. Oh, uh, okay. And Gertie the dinosaur. It, it and he be, had like a practice routine to do with yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. So That's he would, brilliant. He would, and he would be standing to the side with like a whip. Oh, yeah. And like he would call out Gertie to the audience and you'd see it. This is, you can go on YouTube and you can mute it and just play it in the background as we're yeah, talking. Yeah um you'd call out Gertie and she'd like come out of her cave and she'd be really nervous and he'd introduce her to the audience and he'd get the audience to clap for her so that she felt encouraged and and she'd come out <laughs> more brilliant. he'd feed her and stuff and it was really, it was like uh john hammond in jurassic park oh, that's obviously what it was attributed to yeah. <laughs> it must have been because it relates to dinosaurs and it was yeah. a, a brontosaurus in Gertie was a brontosaurus and, oh yeah, I know it's a DNA strand he's talking to. Yeah, yeah, yeah I was just thinking that, but, but it's Bron- obviously a reference to it. Though. Yeah, yeah, because I think even the Bront, the when in Jurassic Park when they're showing the um the mosquito, when they're illustrating how the mosquito got the DNA. Yeah, the it, it's a brontosaurus. It drinks blood from, and it, even when you look at the Gertie dinosaur, they're drawn very alike. Like, uh, so I think it is okay, definitely yeah, yeah. A, a direct reference. That's really clever. Um, yeah, it made me. That's ridiculously. It's like such deep. a weird reference. Like, yeah. But Spielberg's really not... Like, he's really into his whole cinema history and yeah, stuff. Yeah. Like, so he probably knows everything about Windsor McKay. In fact, oh, yeah. I think there's a there's a Windsor McKay award. I'm not sure what the award actually... It's probably an animation award. I've seen a list of people that won it, and it's, it, it seems to be people from all circles. It might just be contribution or something. Oh, okay. To the arts or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I just, I, I get the feeling like Spielberg might have won one or something. Oh, okay, yeah. But then contribution to animation, maybe. Who knows? Although I don't know much about Spielberg. He might have yeah, animated something. that much. <laughs> but yeah, it's really cool. <laughs> and <laughs> what's insane about it? And, like, and unfortunately, like because he interacted with Gertie, there's no footage. Because it's not like his vaudeville shows were recorded. So oh, so it's only the Gertie side. Yeah, yeah. But there is some stills of him and stuff. But at the, the, the finale of the act... Was Gertie would put down her tail, and he would climb up the tail, and he would ride off on top of Gertie. And the hell did he? So, it was just a bit of magic trick, like where like once there was pretty much like a hole in the screen or something that he would just walk through, and at that oh, okay, exact, and then there'd be an animated him. Yeah, it was just timed perfect. It it switched to animation. Wow. Like, that imagine how brilliant. hard it would have been to practice that routine and get it down. Like yeah. so, there's like that, it's a magician's act. As well as just that animation, brilliant. yeah, it's so cool. And yeah, and Gertie was uh, apparently the the first character ever developed for film. 
So yeah, that was yeah. the, the first Mickey Mouse or Donald Duck. Oh, okay, but, yeah. That's amazing. And apparently also the first um, dinosaur ever on film. Naturally, oh, okay. because it was very hard to find dinosaurs yeah, until, until, until animation. They've been extinct for at least like a hundred <laughs> years of that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what's cool. Because I, I wish like... I want to find a biography about this guy and just read up about all his other stuff because he done other dinosaur animated like more educational stuff like so probably because okay, because yeah. as I was reading I was thinking like yeah how did people like how did people learn about dinosaurs in yeah, 1911 yeah. they were just really being discovered in the last hundred years and yeah or they've rediscovered I know loads of dinosaurs have been rediscovered to actually have just been like they never existed at all exist, they just yeah. mixed bones together and if they were left out left with a leftover bone they're like oh it must have been a horn on their head or on yeah, their nose yeah. or something you know all there, this kind of stuff like there was stuff about, like where they were like literally they were mixing up tails for necks and stuff like yeah yeah it's crazy it's such a different like the, the skeleton was so different than anything they'd seen yeah but it's only i think it's it might just be that i've seen this it, it might be all news and I've just seen it far too late but like only very recently were they able to confirm that the brontosaurus was actually a dinosaur oh, okay, for the yeah. last like 70 years it's been questioned to, there, a, lot, a lot of scientists have debated whether it existed yeah. or they just mixed it up with something oh, okay, else yeah. and they've finally been able to confirm it was a real dinosaur from what I know is all the dinosaur names I learned as a kid are all wrong yeah <laughs> yeah because yeah. i remember i remember having like loads and loads of dinosaurs when i was a kid and i knew the names of all of them because they were like Same, written yeah. on the bellies and i like i learned all of them and i knew all of them and now i couldn't tell you any of them because they're all different as a kid like kids and it's boys and girls just oh yeah dinosaurs are the coolest thing in the world because they they're real i wonder how how much playing with dinosaurs as a child helps you develop like your just your brain in general, I yeah, guess. Yeah. But speech particularly, because like even like, saying saying brontosaur is a simple enough one, yeah, but even but saying that like as a three-year-old, diplodocus and yeah, loads yeah. of them. Uh, yeah. I mean, pterodactyl is still a ridiculous oh, yeah. word. It's <laughs> a crazy word. I still uh, couldn't spell it for you, but yeah. yeah. And child. I remember, I remember being able to say Tyrannosaurus Rex instead yeah. of saying T Rex. <laughs> I think I used to even like get really high and mighty if anybody called so, it a T Rex. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, I, remember, I remember being the exact same. <laughs> but even like remember like learning like like knowing what a herbivore and an omnivore and a carnivore was like. Yeah. Like if dinosaurs didn't exist, a kid would never learn those words because it was not cool no. to lead them. And so. uh, and I remember being huge into dinosaurs, and then Jurassic Park came out, and it was just the biggest thing ever. Like yeah, I was into them yeah. before it. Like I don't know what oh, yeah, got me into yeah. them. I think it was just... probably Cadillacs and dinosaurs. <laughs> oh, I think I probably saw that after Jurassic Park. I think. Yeah, I don't know. There was something. I something that put me onto it. I think it's like. I think it's, it, was, it was probably it's... just a kids' book or something. Yeah, I think it's that just. I, got when I, was I like think four. it's in. I think it's in your DNA as a child, like to just. Yeah. It's like you hit puberty and you start being attracted to the opposite sex or the same sex, yeah. but uh, I think it's just like you're born. And you appreciate dinosaurs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> are, are you a bit angry now that they're finding out so much more about them that we didn't know and that yes. they had feathers? And like, I'm so jealous. Like, can we just not talk about it? Like, yeah, I am, I'm really kind of like, you're ruining my childhood. Shut yeah. up. Like, uh, you know, like in The Simpsons where the, the real Seymour Skinner comes oh, and yeah. he turns out to be a bit of a jerk. 
and oh, they're yeah. just like let's forget that ever happened like, oh he's the vietnam vet yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a really funny story um yeah. just set up for Mad Men. Really, yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah i think we should do that with the feathered dinosaurs yeah i don't care if that's right <laughs> i like that'd that. be really funny cartoon thing we should totally do that <laughs> Because, like, Jurassic World's coming out. I yeah. wonder, did they ever, when they were sitting around talking about what way they're going to do that film, did it come yeah. up like, we should, we probably have to add feathers now. But even if you watch Jurassic Park up to the third one, the they kept have... changing the raptors. Yeah. And in... to me, they'll always look like they looked like in the first one. Because even the second one, they were slightly different. In the third one, they added, like, feathers just under a little bit yeah, yeah they weren't yeah, yeah. totally covered which i think which i appreciate there were them it was their point they were it's saying transition look we know we know it was their way of saying we know yeah. but but from the trailer i think they just look like that still yeah, yeah. i like I, I don't want them to change because now when we actually see what raptors actually look like you're like oh that's not scary and apparently they were a lot smaller. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. They were tiny, it seems. Well, there was yeah. um, there was a few tall, like, the four-year-old me yeah, would yeah. probably be able to have this conversation. There we is a gig- there is a gigantic one. I can't think of the name. Yeah, but, yeah. But Velociraptors were, which are the ones in Jurassic Park. Yeah, yeah. That were like about six foot tall. They're actually like three foot tall. But <laughs> then something. now I don't know a fucking thing about science really. But in Jurassic Park, the point was that they used amphibian DNA to actually. Yeah, so they're not the real dinosaurs, dinosaurs. Yeah, they're so hybrids. They're, yeah. yeah, so whatever about real dinosaurs, these aren't, these are clones. Because, uh, you know, the the pro- the new one is the whole, it's a genetically modified dinosaur. I know, yeah. But they're all genetically modified dinosaurs, because they're yeah. all like a mix between dinosaur DNA and... Like frog, frog. Yeah. I think they say frog. So they yeah. are cold-blooded, like, so yeah. they probably, they wouldn't have feathers in, in Jurassic Park anyway. Yeah. I guess. So Jurassic Park actually makes sense, I, I guess. Yeah, accidentally. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe <laughs> deliberately. I've read the book and all, and I can't remember if to go into that. But anyway, at, the point, at that point in time, they didn't know they had feathers. So. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, see, I, I, that kind of sums it up, really, though. You can't mention anything relating to a dinosaur without transition to just talking about dinosaurs for a while. I know, yeah, of dinosaurs. Because <laughs> <laughs> they're awesome. But to wrap up with uh, McKay anyway, he uh, he died in 1934 and in 37 his son Robert attempted to, to carry on the father's legacy by reviving Little Nemo, but yeah. it didn't, didn't have the same success. Oh yeah. Kind of skipped over something because we talked about dinosaurs, but after uh, McKay done the um, Gertie and sort of his vaudeville show got really popular, Hearst yeah. actually for, forbid him from doing any of that stuff because it was taking up too much of his time oh, and really? he wanted him to do all the political cartoons and stuff yeah and then he took him off doing the comic book strips and wanted him just for this stuff and just essentially tried to ruin his career yeah <laughs> um <laughs> it didn't really like he so he kind of kept doing his own things anyway but yeah. it was just harder and he was probably butting heads with hearst a lot oh yeah but there was a there was a japanese american film like a co-production of, I assume it was a Japanese film, and they just American version had American actors doing the VO. Yeah. But there was a Little Nemo Adventures in Slumberland in 1989, um, which I've oh, seen, okay. but it looks good. And there was also, and I do remember this. I just didn't know they related at all. But there was a NES game, Nintendo Entertainment System, yeah. called Little Nemo: The Dream Master in 1990, and that was based oh, off okay. the film, loosely based off the film. A lot of elements from the book, there the comic book strip. 
But yeah, and I had like I think I've rented that when I was a kid and actually played yeah. it. But I bet you that's what the Matrix is based on. <laughs> Possibly <laughs> the, the NES game, not yeah, yeah. <laughs> the 1911 comic strip. <laughs> like I'm sure, like I might be just making such a ridiculous connection to the Matrix, but it seems like too it's too good, it's too close. Yeah, right. Yeah. They have to have heard about it. Yeah, even if they've come up with the concept and they're like, oh look, there's loads of deadly ideas in this. Yeah, like it might have just been a case they they were fans of it and, and just they named tribute to it. Yeah, yeah, just named them after them. Yeah, the fact that there's a Morpheus and a Neo, and there's a Morpheus and a Nemo. I know, yeah, it's very close. And the whole dream and the light, you know, the stuff about it. Have you ever had a dream you thought was so real? Yeah, yeah. I can't remember the actual line. But... Nothing shotgun solves mystery. <laughs> <laughs> That was a really nice way to go into the next story. <laughs> this is just a quick one. Yeah, um, I've I've one little quick one as well. Yeah. Um, this is from the San Francisco Call on the 9th of April. Oh, uh, okay. A story from the 10th. Oh, good stuff. <laughs> from the same paper. It's funny if we have the same. Because I've got another one too. But anyway, yeah. it'd be funny if it, like, it took like 12 episodes for us to finally come up with the clash. Writer confesses killing in cold blood but says, I have got forgiveness. On April 8th, the finding of a note secreted in the stock of an old shotgun, which was being repaired by a gunsmith in Hagerman, solves a murder mystery at Austin, Texas, dating from March 19th, 1892. Wow, that's a long time. I, I didn't realize that it was that right. long ago. Eddie NHM, or NM, I killed John Miles with this gun. I did it in cold blood. Tragedy occurred near Austin, Texas. I'm now nearing the grave, and I have got forgiveness. J.L. Cummins, <laughs> and he signed it February. He signed it February fourth, eighteen ninety-three. So he signed it to. He signed it a year after he'd actually wow. killed somebody. And the gun is the property of George Stanford, who bought it and blah. Yeah, just. But that's insane. Like he's going murdered somebody, wrote a confession, <laughs> left it in the barrel. That's incredible. <laughs> I like the symmetry of that. Yeah. <laughs> like, I killed this man, and here is also the murder weapon. Yeah. <laughs> and my confession all in one like, go. Just to read the, the, the confession again, is just, I killed John Miles with this gun. I did it in cold blood. Tragedy occurred near Austin, Texas. I'm now nearing the grave, and I've got forgiveness. It's like, <laughs> it's such a... Can you imagine being the guy? Can you imagine you buy that gun? And you're like, you say, oh, I'm a new gun, and you take out to clean it, and that no falls out. Like, I know, yeah. Do you something like I don't know? There's, it's kind of like a chilling. No, it's it's it hilarious, is. but it's really chilling as well. Yeah, wow, it's a good one. No, that's good. I'm just I'm blown yeah. away by that. So I'm curious what one, what one you have. Yeah, do we land on the same one? Yeah. <laughs> okay, April tenth, nineteen ten, the San Francisco call. Uh, balloon, uh, balloon carrying four collapses high in the air. Oh no. Uh, this boat looks back we haven't had we, well we have blimp blimps and balloons okay. kind of relate gas bag springs leak at altitude of 4,000 feet and army aeronauts escape death I really like the word aeronauts that's yeah, what attracted yeah. me to this article and then just because this makes me laugh so much is then in in like uh, in um, quotations underneath that they have a special dispatch to the call as in like it's specifically our story yeah, yeah. and stuff you know um, and actually the page I got it from had loads of these like special dispatch to the call special dislike. Um first of all within this story there's an aspect of this 
which I think is really funny, right? And I think you're going to agree with me on this. So yeah. uh, this is in St. Louis. I have it on the 9th. Uh, a balloon ascension here today by four members of the uh, Signal Corps of the 1st Regiment National Guard of Missouri terminated in an accident when the uh, aer- aerostat sprang a leak and dropped like a plummet from an elevation of 4,000 feet. Lieutenants Andrew Drew <laughs> Great, great. There's some great names in this. Uh, Wait, is Andrew Drew? Andrew Drew. Right? <laughs> Lieutenant Andrew Drew and John P. Hart and Sergeants uh, Bayard T. Bookman and G.A. Uh, Obermeyer, who Obermeyer's a good name in yeah, itself. comprised of the aeronautic party, saved themselves from sin- serious injury after colliding with the smokestack of a tobacco factory less than three miles from their starting point by dumping all their ballast overboard. Even the crippled, even then, the crippled balloon bounded along the ground, hurdling fences, sheds, and wire-laden poles, finally near Tara Grove Station. It's really weirdly written, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, save, Save for scratches, the aeronauts were unhurt. Now, they went into the smokestack of a tobacco factory. Do you think they were trying to inhale... (laughs) <laughs> a free smoke and they got too close to the chimney and the thing to me that doesn't make any sense about this story is they supposedly fell from 4,000 feet what yeah. factory is on 4,000 feet <laughs> <laughs> like did they hit the factory and then go up and then come down again like <laughs> 4,000 feet is remarkably high though it's really high like, like that's like that's a big mountain like, like that's high the first thing i thought was just like were they like trying to inhale the like fumes coming out of the chimney <laughs> to get a nicotine high to, like <laughs> like part of me wants to believe that because it's much funnier i yeah. don't want to believe it but i thought it'd be really funny it'd be way funnier if it was like a biscuit factory <laughs> something and they're like oh smell the biscuits <laughs> Like how can you uh, how how can you how can you walk away from anything like that? Well, they slowed their descent by putting all the ballast off yeah. and all the any weights, so it was just the weighted. Like, but didn't before that say like the they, they survived with just a few scratches? Like you'd think still like broken a few broken legs, like or something. Yeah. Well, you're in a basket, so I suppose you'd have some kind of protection on you. Yeah, I'll put it this way. Right, I understand. Like you could definitely survive that walk away fine. But once you are familiar with the mechanics of a balloon and once you've done it before and you're well trained, yeah? Yeah. But if you're all of that, then I don't know how they how they got into this predicament in the first yeah, yeah. place. <laughs> so it seems like they had to be stupid. Yeah. And now and that's why I'm surprised. They're that, that stupid they, and lucky. Yeah. Like it it can't be bought they can't it can't be bought. Like they kind of gotten into that predicament <laughs> and be, be smart bought. enough to, to land properly. No. It just doesn't seem right. Their tra- part of their training was that they did the safety landings first, yeah. and then they just went, hey lads, let's just take the balloon out. How many was a tree? Did Four of them. Four of them. Two lieutenants and two sergeants. I guess they knew what they were doing, and just were like, hey, you know, lads, they're probably, they're probably drinking. <laughs> like, <laughs> let's face it. They're probably drinking and thought, you're drinking, you want, you want a cigarette, you open a balloon, you probably can't smoke in a balloon. It's probably exactly. health, health hazards. You're like, yeah. oh, I'd love, after drinking a bit of whiskey, I'd love a smoke. It's like, well, you know, the tobacco mile just <laughs> yeah. three miles away. Yeah. <laughs> Take a bit of a detour. Yeah. 
there is a there is a an, a second possibility or a third or whatever. Yeah. That the article just is made up. As we keep saying with these <laughs> things. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's because uh, leading to something here about an article I found, and now we can go back to yours because this is long. So apologies in advance. I, I I will I'll cut out what is really unnecessary, but unfortunately, I think a lot of this needs to be read to to get it across. And you can judge for yourself. And I have I have answers for it, but okay. Um. So this is boy insists he tried to poison foster parents. <laughs> <laughs> he insists he tried, and yeah. this is from the uh, San Francisco Call, as as always. Well, um, actually, while I grab you there quickly. The I was using this website a lot for getting these newspapers, and it, I was also using the Los Angeles Herald. Yeah, and it yeah. finished, or there's no more archives after 1911 for that paper. Yeah, yeah, but I think that I did, I think the paper was still around. I think the I think that was one of Hearst's yeah. as well, and that went in the 70s. I think, but there's just no more archives yeah. on that particular website I was using. It's probably like an ongoing thing. They probably have. A collection of them and want because yeah. it seemed like the LA Hurl that had a load for they probably want to like they, they might have 10 years worth but they're missing a few months yeah yeah so they're trying to fix them up sorry anyway but anyway so uh San Jose April 6th but I did give rat poison to mama and papa nearly two boxes of it <laughs> that's a quote calmly <laughs> and dispassionately and seemingly with a full realization of what he is doing 11 year old Robert Nicholas today reiterated his confession before a disconcerting array of juvenile court officers and newspaper men and baffled all the attempts of a medical expert to throw any light on his strange case. Fully realizing the seriousness of what he had done and dreading the punishment he feels will be given to him, he would say nothing that would in any way help to clear him of the confessed crime. It's really weird. They're they're trying to get him to take away his confession because it sounds so ridiculous oh they're like just just say you didn't do it and be, everything will be fine yeah they're trying to catch him out t- essentially so well go on uh, sorry <laughs> wanting to hide thefts nicholas almost wept at the officer's apparent skepticism and declared that between january 17th, 17th and march 22nd he had systematically given his foster mother and father rough on rats that's the name of the poison that they might die seemingly natural deaths and the, his alleged theft of $200 might be covered up. Uh, <laughs> Robert denied having other motives than that of covering up his thefts, but declared that something seemed to take hold of him and force him to poison his foster parents drinking <laughs> water. He said that sometimes he did not feel just right and that immediately after he had administered a dose of the deadly arsenic rat poison, he was overcome with remorse and fear. He never confessed to, He never confessed his acts at these times, or took any steps to alleviate the sufferings of the couple that had befriended him, though he realized that should they die, he might be severely punished. <laughs> <laughs> um, and just because it wasn't, it's not actually been made clear, but, you know, he, he claimed he... he Tried to poison them, but they, they're not dead, like. Okay, yeah. Um, boy's story unshaken. Uh, the gentle sweating process the lad was at first subjected to by the probation officers of the juvenile court had no effect. Later threats to throw him into a deep, 
dark, rat-infested dungeon, and every means known to the authorities who are used to hand uh, who are used to handling wayward youths, <laughs> without resorting to personal violence. I would consider threatening to throw somebody in a dungeon a pretty. I guess it's not violent, but yeah, yeah. in other words, they didn't beat the confession <laughs> yeah. them like they would have done an adult at the time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it all failed to shake the boy's story. Uh, at no point did he contradict himself, though he was asked the same question over and over again by several different people at different times. Now, I'm gonna skip some. There's stuff. All right, this Judge Cosby. Just remember him. He, he, he there's just a quote here from him about sending him to a doctor, Doctor. Th Stice, but it will come back to it. Like I just don't want to read overread stuff. But uh, there's another right may prove hereditary. A theory to the effect that the lad inherits a homicidal mania was advanced today by his foster mother, Mrs. Olympia Basis of Lost Gatus. Actually, I'm going to stop because I looked this up. This um now I couldn't find other sources for this. Yeah. This is uh, they owned a big hotel. Uh, okay and it, that's why one day say mrs olympia was the olympia hotel <laughs> and so they were quite a well-off family who had taken him in but anyway so miss uh mrs bezos the w- woman was formerly well acquainted with the nicholas family who declares that an older sister of his, of the little boy committed suicide by taking poison some 12 years ago the boy's father had passed his 16th year when robert was born one of the pair of one of a pair of twins both are living and both appear to be normal healthy bright children so right i'm going to stop because there's another article to follow that up so i'll just end there the article goes on to talk about how he um this 11 year old killed kid robert he bought the poison the rat poison in the local pharmacy on the foster mother's tab Uh, and he tested it on the dog yeah and i couldn't actually really figure out if the dog died or not if it worked yeah but it, uh, he tested it on the dog anyway and the foster mother she's found the receipt and saw rat poison we didn't buy rat poison and confronted him and that's when he admitted to all of this so oh, i've been poisoning you for the last <laughs> yeah. week <laughs> so there was there was rat poison bought anyway yeah and he claims he definitely poisoned them now this is the follow-up this is a few days later from the san francisco call as well just i'm just going to read the hang, headlines hang on. you find a follow-up yeah wow <laughs> i found two follow-ups wow remember i still it's... have never found a follow-up <laughs> about the guy the manhunt listen to just these headlines youth's mind seized by unseen forces <gasps> it's dark passenger there's just loads <laughs> there's just like four headlines in this stuff robert nicholas of los gatos I don't know if it lost Gattis, it sounds right, says he cannot control brain working. Robert N- N- Nicholas taught to be under spell of itinerant magician. Itinerant mesmerist experimented on child with bad results. Mesmerist operated on him two years ago to stop his stealing. <laughs> oh like again this is so long i'm gonna read some of it yeah but i'll I'll try skip it because i don't we're already going very long so jan jose or april blah 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 that 11 year old robert nicholas who declares he poisoned his pet dog and foster parents mr and mrs john bazarus owners of the olympia hotel 
is the victim of an itinerant hypnotist who visited the city more than two years ago <laughs> was the impression gained by officers of the juvenile court and spectators during the hearing of this case today okay i think i am just gonna read basically what this goes on to say that the uh the father had arthritis and yeah. this uh itinerant <laughs> hypnotist came to town to pawn a show and cure people and okay. they brought the dad to it and to cure his arthritis and at some point during the show this guy touched the child's head yeah and based on this they've now come to the conclusion that, that he made him a psychopath basically. yeah he hypnotized him into poison him okay. <laughs> uh the clue to the theory that the boy has been under a hypnotic spell was obtained early in the hearing asked why he had administered poison to the foster parents he said something takes hold of my mind that is stronger than i am that <laughs> is the dark passenger it's <laughs> like, amazing he was asked can you see something he replied no but i can feel it later he admitted that he attended an exhibition sorry this is why i just told you yeah um then there's a weird this is a weird part of the article just to describe how odd articles were at this time there's a headline that says boy wears kid gloves and it just described what he was wearing in court and that he was wearing gloves in court. <laughs> I don't know why. That's really strange. Yeah. And so it clings to his story. <laughs> he clung tenaciously to his original story as he outlined in the confession to the call correspondent Wednesday evening in spite of the fact that Dr. Osborne, Assistant District Attorney James P. Sex. Oh, his name's actually James P. Sex. <laughs> Juvenile George P. F. Gosby. And newspaper, sorry, there's just a bunch of names there. Uh, yeah, sorry, they're just talking about, but despite their attempts to catch him out. But anyway, he was on the stand for an hour and a half and was led back and forth over the same ground. A 15 cent box of rat poison and a glass of water were introduced by Judge Gosby. The boy was asked to remove his gloves and show how much poison he had administered each time to his mother. He did as requested and taking a tiny pinch of the stuff between his thumb and forefinger, uh, dropped it into the glass. The poison floated on top of the water, forming a sort of scum. <laughs> anyway, it's it, sorry, I, that was the wrong part to read. Yeah, so he still owns up to it and the the unknown something gripped him by the head and made him do it. This is in his own, his own words. He said that he loved his father and mother and that he had a comfortable home. He was treated well and would not like to leave it the boy was questioned in regard to his religion he said he was catholic afterwards he acknowledged that seances were held in the home this just gets weirder and weirder (laughs) okay um he 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 starts talking about that the foster parents held seances yeah and that evil spirits would come and visit him but they were really popular at the time, parlor tricks and stuff. That's so. exactly it. She was that called was, to the stand. That was the same as that like was... sitting and watching TV. Like yeah, was... yeah. And she was called to the stand, and uh, yeah, she was asked if she if this was true, and she said she didn't believe in spiritualism or spirits in any way. And the seances were just held in fun. She had no idea that the boy regarded them in any other light. But and that pretty much ends there. But they're staying with the idea of the itinerant hypnotist. <laughs> That's crazy. Now, follow up again, and I won't go too far with this one, because this is from the... (laughs) And there's actually a name associated to this article. This is Peggy Canaway Burge Told or Berg Told. 
B-E-R-G-T-O-L-D. Mm-hmm. The Los Gatos Weekly Times this was from. Now, and this is just... Because that's such a crazy story. It can't be true. Yeah. But it is. It's just down to what way the journalist wanted to tell it. Oh, okay. Because the story that appears in the Los Gatos Weekly Times... And it's actually signed by a journalist. Yeah. Has all that information. There's just one little... One difference. Because they're saying this itinerant hypnotist hypnotized the boy yeah. into doing these evil acts and poisoning. Yeah, yeah. But there's, her story starts with that Robert Nicholas, the 11-year-old Los Gatos spy, never gave his foster mother Mrs. Olympia rat poison, but is under a hypnotic spell which has made him a monumental liar. Ah. The, yeah, and their story, and this talk about the, the stuff that came up with the hypnotist, yeah. but just the take that it was just nonsense he was talking and he was blaming the hip. He, he had lied. Being caught out, there was some belief that the hypnotist made him a lot. What there was just he was hypnotized and just had some weird effect on him, where he just yeah. started making up stuff afterwards. Then it was suggesting that like he's just lying again. Yeah, but either way, even if you still go with the whole itinerant hypnotist done something, the actual version seems to be the belief was that the hypnotist hypnotized him into being a liar, not a psychopath. <laughs> <laughs> and that's and that's a key thing to left out in the which the, is. How hypnotism works more likely. Yeah, yeah. If you, yeah, exactly. If you're going if, to believe that story, if you go, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. If there's any, if there's any element of truth to that story, it's the last one, probably. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I just found that really interesting. Just that one, that little difference, and just how less ridiculous the story becomes. Mad. A hypnotist hypnotize him into being a liar. Eh, I don't believe that either, but I, yeah, I can yeah. buy that one. I'm sure Darren Brown could do that. So would you? like to hear some letters some uh questions from the queries section oh so you think nowadays we have search engines and the internet and like we discovered the other week of like people writing that your man writing the open letter to like yeah, poor yeah. people thinking they're entitled to be able to afford everything the same <laughs> as everyone else and all this yeah kind of. the 19 to 10 equivalent of an imdb argument essentially yeah and this is kind of more like googling questions in the 1911 equivalent <laughs> so it's just a load of questions people ask and then the newspapers just answer them brilliant so which we actually had a version of this in 1902 i think I think so yeah, yeah yeah um so now you're gonna like this one what drew me to this was there's a question about uh calendars oh which like was, calendar which was a huge topic for our first episode so why is the anniversary of the birth of george washington celebrated on february 22nd when in fact he was born on february 11th and the newspaper's answer is he was born on february 11th 1732 according to the julian calendar which was adopted to regulate errors in the division of time and which omitted 11 days the anniversary day was changed of course yeah but and that's i think it really occurred to me that yeah there's like really important historical figures that their birth would cross over into yeah because yeah. we were even talking about that when we did the calendars like oh why would you just lose like you're like oh i was born like february 38th yeah, <laughs> it's like well not anymore <laughs> mm. you know fairy clock the way they're written sorry fairy clock subscriber oakland what is the size of the clock in the uh, fairy tower, San Francisco? The length of hands. 
<laughs> Such a specific question. Uh, the answer is the diameter of the outer dial, 22 feet. Size of the minute hand, 12 feet. And that of the hour hand, 9 feet. Lost relative, subscriber, uh, Corum. How can I trace a relative I have not heard of since 1900? When last heard of, this relative was living in Republic, Washington. Answer is, send a letter to the Sheriff of Ferry County, Washington. <laughs> but I guess, like, how would you... How would you actually... Yeah, I don't, I won't, how would you be able to find no, that out? Like, you need to like, ask somebody. Yeah. Without, like... I mean, you could, like, call to your neighbor. Do you know how to... If they don't... Yeah, you if call you knew their the last address, name. like, yeah, yeah. Go up there. It'd be really funny if the answer was, like, <laughs> go there and look for the answer. Yeah. <laughs> what I mean is, like, the only way to find... There's only two ways to find out an answer to a question like that, then. It's to co- ask loads of people. Yeah. And just hope somebody... Or write to the paper. Or write to the paper. Like, it's... Here's, here's a good one for you, is famines... Give the dates of the famines in Ireland. There were famines in that country in 1814, 1816, 1822, 1832, 1836, 1847, and in 1880. Loads of it's essentially people being really lazy. Like, I could yeah, but it's like just going like, you know, famines, Shane, Dublin, gives the dates of the famines in Ireland. <laughs> it's the, this one I really liked because this just sounds like the laziest, one of the laziest requests ever is uh, letter carriers. What is the pay of letter carriers who deliver on foot? <laughs> well, somebody looking then, for a job. Yeah, then the answer is the salaries vary from $800 a year to $1,200 a year. A date, as says the first day of March 1906, fell on Wednesday, and B says Thursday. Is A or B right? B is right. (laughs) 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 So this is like trying to settle an argument in the paper. (laughs) That you'll like this one. To kill rats. Is there a way to destroy rats by food that does not contain poison? And then the answer is just the best is this department has not been able to discover any food that, without being poisoned, will destroy the rodents. The best method to catch them is by means of traps. <laughs> but it looks like we haven't been able to find an answer. Yeah. So that seems like one. a ridiculous question too, though. It's like, yeah, I think they mean, is there like, is there like rats allergic to a specific food? Yeah. And if you put that down, will they eat it and die? <laughs> All I can think is, if they're not going to eat, if it's, they yeah. won't, if it's bad for them, then they probably won't eat it. Yeah. Well, though, rats everything i think but uh, but that's my like that's why it's like but that's why you need poison because rats can live off anything <laughs> yeah like, yeah yeah they really anything uh, like, but yeah there's a few more then but just, they're very good yeah i just just, just love the yeah I, I like that crossover of things being just the, these little elements that just will never change it's good yeah this one sounds like psychopath this is the last one i'm gonna do game warden subscriber johnsville where should i file an application appointment as game warden in this state has a game warden a right to inspect the basket of a fisher or the bag of a hunter without being armed with a search warrant uh, <laughs> so basically this is what i'm going I uh, want can i i want a job where i can look in people's bags <laughs> <laughs> potentially steal for them send application to the fish commissioners merchants exchange building in san francisco 
A game warden is justified in the examination of basket or bag to ascertain if the fisher or hunter has exceeded the limit without having a search warrant. But yeah, it's, uh, that's the news as it was in 1911. Yeah. We'll see you in the future. In the past. <laughs>